This is Cybok, the cybersecurity body of knowledge, distilling the knowledge from internationally recognized experts and providing foundational education and training for the cybersecurity sector. Hello and welcome to Cybok. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Joining us today is Niraj Suri. He's a distinguished professor of computer science at Lancaster University and is author of the Distributed System Security Knowledge Area. Usually when I get asked what a distributed system is or what distributed system security is, I usually ask people to reflect why we got to a distributed system in the first place. So let's 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 take a peek at what a centralized system is before I'll come to a distributed system. So in an idealized world, or as we grew up as kids or something, computers were simple. You had a single machine, you interacted with it. It was yours. There was nobody contending for access. So whatever you did on the machine was, it had some kind of sequential access and you were not contending with anyone. But obviously machines die, you have performance limitation. If you have a service located on the other side of the country, you want to have low latency, you want the devices to be close enough to you. So distributed systems basically grew up as to rectify these issues of things failing, performance, your distribution, and a whole bunch of other things by interconnecting a lot of computers together. So the user would transparently see the whole collection as as a service. Now things would be distributed, located in a distributed manner, which is fine, but ultimately what you want is the illusion of the same sequential centralized computer you were used to. So the whole dilemma comes around by saying, you want centralized, coordinated, consistent services, but now the things are spread over the whole wide world. So what are the issues of security that pop up? That now you just have a much bigger ecosystem of computers, communication networks, and things that you have no idea what they are, where they are. So from a security viewpoint, you're trying to defend something that you don't know what you're defending against. And then you worry about both the assets, which have become much more distributed. So your attack surface has gone up dramatically. And then you worry about the functionality, which converts the whole distributed resources into some kind of a cohesive, coordinated package out of which you can get this illusion of a sequential service that you were after. So in order to understand the distributed system and distributed system security, what you really need to understand is a central basic computer security and then see what the differences start and what you're going to protect against. So if you don't know what you're protecting against, whether I call it a distributed or a network or any other fancy name or the other, then it's chasing a moving target. Let's go through the various classes of distributed systems together. Can you describe to us uh, the spectrum of what we're talking about here? So the interesting thing is when you pick up a book on distributed systems, there is as many distributed systems as you can put your hand onto. Each person has a different definition. Some people look at the cloud, the web, the internet, a peer-to-peer, Amazon Web Services, Google. Each one has a different connotation of what a distributed system is. I have a much simpler way of looking at systems. I look at the core abstraction which would define both the functional blocks and the functional operations of a distributed system. 
So going back to my earlier comment that it's a whole collection or a composition of resources out of which you're trying to get some cohesive content, let's say consistent service. Then you say, what are the underlying things that constitute a distributed system? You have sources of information. It could be a user. It could be a database where information is coming. You have a collection of things, so you have to distribute this information going around, which means you need some communication entities. And then you collate the information and get some useful service out of it. So when you look at this very simple reflection that it's a flow of data, next you look and you say, in order to get all the services I want out of it, something needs to coordinate all these different entities in a certain manner. And that becomes the fundamental abstraction that for me characterizes the distributed system. You can have coordination in a decentralized manner where people, where each entity is talking to each other without a centralized coordination service, or you can have a coordinated system where either a single or a group of entities are coordinating the whole system in one shot. So the essence of a distributed system literally becomes either a decentralized coordination or a coordinated service. And these two abstractions are enough to define virtually every single distributed system you can think of. And that's the philosophy I used in this chapter. Hmm. Can you give us some some examples of, of, of those two? Any, any ones that come to mind that people would be familiar with? Oh, absolutely. So... Most people are familiar with, let's say, file sharing services, or you're using Zoom or WhatsApp or any communication service. Now, given the fact you're dealing with gigantic systems where you have no idea how they're going to scale, you are obviously not going to have a billion, trillion computers connected by a single centralized entity. That would be silly because your aim is to scale to a bigger size. Your aim is to be robust. And the moment you centralize something, that's an immediate bottleneck. So the whole area of decentralized, which is very classically represented by peer-to-peer systems, is where entities talk to each other. So you are basically trying to figure out, do I have an identity? So let's, let's take WhatsApp as an example. You have a phone number or an email address that defines you as an identity. You want to connect to another phone number or another person's name. You connect one-to-one through a service that does identification of name, who you are, who the other person is, does the routing, and then also discovers any other entity that you might be interested in along the way, your name, perhaps your list of contacts. That becomes a decentralized service where people are talking to each other, point-to-point network and connecting further. On the other hand, if you have a bank balance, let's say you have a Bank of America account and it's on the East Coast, but you're accessing it from the West Coast, you still want access in a certain manner that after your paycheck has come in, only then enough money exists for you to be able to draw and use something. So there's an order that is important. And no matter if your wife is using your card, you're using your card, your transactions are completely consistent. There's no ambiguity on what you spent and what you got inside. That becomes a coordinated service. So the application sometimes ends up defining what you require out of a distributed system. If it's point-to-point, then you go for peer-to-peer, where decentralized allows you to scale. If you have transactional needs, if you have databases, if you have key value stores or some kind of storage services or the other, then you would rather have a coordinated service. So the functional blocks, which is 
decentralized and coordinated and the functionality, which would be point-to-point or some kind of coordinated service is fundamentally all that it takes to characterize these systems. Examples are extremely useful since your application and your, I mean, you have two issues in a distributed system, the infrastructure and the services. Now, both of them have the distributed aspect or the decentralized aspect or the coordinated aspect, and it is these combinations that end up defining different systems. Now, the essence is if you are unable to define either the functional blocks or the functionality the system is there, you're not going to be able to figure out what is it that you're protecting against. So the whole essence of security that I tried to communicate in this chapter is you need to understand the core abstractions so you can define both the protection of the of the infrastructure, the resources, and protection of the services. Once these abstractions are clear, then you can extend them to an infinite number of applications, which are obviously going to change again and again. And you don't go about developing principles for each specific implementation. You develop them for core abstractions. So it was an abstraction view that I was trying to communicate out here. Well, let's go through some of the specific vulnerabilities and threats that you have to deal with when you're talking about distributed uh, systems. What, what sort of things are specific to this model? So you use you use the keyword vulnerability and threat. So what exactly is the vulnerability? It's a weakness, right? So if you look at a weakness that can be that someone can take advantage of, which becomes a threat. So when you look at a distributed system, what are your weak points? Your weak points is what is what we call the attack surface, which is the exposure you have to all the possible bad things that can happen from the outside. So again, if you use the abstraction that I just communicated, the assets you have in a distributed system are the physical resources, which characterize whether a decentralized system or a coordinated one. So again, let's take an example. Supposing I'm trying to protect a peer-to-peer system, which is a decentralized point-to-point communication. It fundamentally has nodes whose identity is characterized, the routing protocol, whether it's a hash table or any other functionality based on which you figure out how to route information from point A to point B. And then you have the discovery service based on which you discover who else is there in the network. So what are the elements you will be protecting? I will be protecting the node where the message originates, I will be protecting the routing service. And fundamentally, these two are all all the things that need to be protected. Then you look at the exact implementation and you say, am I using, so let's say, let's say I'm a node and I'm talking to another node. So I now have to look back and say, what's the functionality that I'm after? I need to send information from my node to the outside so if there's a vulnerability that prevents my message from going outside, that can compromise my entire operation. So there's a type of attack which is called an eclipse attack where a bad node or a bad person basically hovers around you as an entity and surrounds you. So by the time the information is going out from you, it's being eclipsed by a bad entity which is then distorting and sending the information somewhere else. The next functionality is the routing mechanism. Now, routing is done using some kind of a data structure. It could, a typical one at least, is what is called a hash table or distributed hash table. 
then you look at this functional block and you say, well, if someone compromises the integrity of this hash table or this routing structure, then I'm unable to send from point A to point B. My message could be diverted somewhere and I would have no control over it. So if you notice what I did, I took the functional blocks, which were the nodes and the routing infrastructure, and I defined the vulnerabilities based on the functionality they're supposed to do. You're supposed to maintain your identity. You're supposed to have a routing structure that takes the information somewhere. So if the functionality gets distorted, your system has been compromised. Now, for each type of attack, you can have an attack which basically, so when people say security, so let's start using the attributes people use for security. You would like mm. the confidentiality of your information. You would like the integrity of your information. You would like the availability of the information. So each one of these attributes of security define the different type of vulnerabilities that would exist. So if someone says, I'm going to do a denial of service attack and I'm going to block all the routes that go out of you as a node so you cannot send message outside or the routing network is going to be overloaded. That's a denial of service attack that compromises availability. If someone can mimic your identity, your confidentiality might be compromised. So you associate the security attributes, the, the classical CIA confidentiality, integrity, and availability and map it to both the functional blocks and the functionality that, that you're getting out of the system. Life becomes so much easier to analyze if you reduce operations down to basic abstractions. So a distributed system is a composition of blocks and, and the functions. Now I can do exactly the same example for a coordinated system. So mm -hmm. by definition, a coordinated system, let's say a database, is using some mechanism to coordinate the resources and the services. So if I compromise whatever constitutes a vulnerability on the coordination mechanism is going to compromise the security of the system. Does that make sense to you? It does. I, I, and it seems to me, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here or on the wrong track, that the very nature of distributed systems makes them uh, in certain ways robust, but in other ways vulnerable. Absolutely. You hit it spot on. How, how do you deal with uh, scalability and, and these systems, for example, not collapsing under their own weight, the, 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 keeping the system up and running, uh, you know, taking more resources and, and, and opening them up to vulnerabilities? All the principles we have learned over the decades of protecting a system apply for each single entity. So if I say a distributed system is a composition of, of a billion computers or the other, you have scaled the, the problem of the, the asset from one asset in a centralized system to a billion assets in a distributed system. That scalability does not change. So yes, you have become a billion times more vulnerable at the asset level. However, on the functionality level, you use a hierarchical principle of providing coordination or consistency in a very recursive hierarchical manner. In which particular case, by definition, since you are dealing with a group of entities that is going to provide coordination, you in fact sometimes become more robust because now instead of a single entity going down and killing your system, you have a group of entities that are designed to tolerate a certain number of things going wrong. So it's a conundrum. 
I have increased my exposure by a billion units just because these are billion physical units that I'm dealing with. On the other hand, the coordination mechanism is more robust because it's inherently designed to protect against certain number of failures that a single system could never be protected against. So it's that trade-off that we do in a large system where the trade-off comes on what aspect of security are you obtaining. So if my interest is only to obtain integrity of data, my nodes going down does not compromise the integrity as long as I can maintain the coordination mechanism. But if availability is an issue and the coordination mechanisms can be compromised or, or be eclipsed in some way or the other, eclipsing just a handful of entities can compromise my entire system. Now keep in mind, I'm using a pathological example of a billion entities distributed as a billion separate assets. When you're looking at, let's say a database, you'll probably have a few server farms where each server farm is going to be a few hundred thousand servers or the other, but they're in a physical location, which is then protected on a different basis versus having a billion, let's say phones distributed in, a, in physically different areas. So there's a compromise between the physical security that simply gets exposed by the number of entities and the functional security, which is based on the coordinating entities handling it. The, the decentralized one I talked about peer-to-peer -peer, is actually remarkably more robust, but all the different things are interconnected to each other on a point-to-point -point basis. Since there is no coordination, single coordination structure to compromise, you need a huge number of compromises before the system actually goes down. So there's no clean answer to say that a system by being larger is more susceptible, less susceptible. There are simply different dimensions of susceptibility you have to deal with. What are the take-homes for you? What do you hope that someone who reads through this document comes away with? I think there are two key points that I tried to make in this whole chapter. One, that security is an end-to-end -end property. You collect data, Data is sourced, data is transported, data is used. This is a fundamental abstraction in any distributed system. If these abstractions don't exist, then you're doing something wrong. In a distributed system, you have to think in terms of securing the functional, securing the infrastructure and securing the services. These two things are separate. A lot of times people mix it up by saying, Here's a distributed system. We are going to make the software secure, the middleware secure, the assets secure. It's the wrong level of thinking. Break it down into its essence. A distributed system is a composition of functional blocks where the middleware or the glue defines the functionality that is going to come out of it. So you need to protect the infrastructure. You need to protect the, the services. And the sooner you can separate out the two, the better your solution is going to be. Our thanks to Niraj Suri for joining us. You can check out the entire Distributed System Security Knowledge Area publication on the Cybok website, cybok.org. To learn more about the Cybok project and the knowledge area we spoke about today, visit cybok.org. This podcast is a product of the University of Bristol. Cybok is funded by the UK National Cybersecurity Programme and led by the University of Bristol's Professor Awais Rashid along with Professor Andrew Martin, Professor George Denisis, Professor Emil Lupu, Professor Steve Schneider, and Dr. Howard Shivers. 
The Cybok Podcast is produced by The Cyberwire with coordinating producers Jennifer Iben, Kelsey Bond, and Bristol University's Yvonne Rigby. The executive producer is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listening.